Welcome back to the podcast. Today's chapter, The Kingbreaker. Barrison always wanted to be a kingbreaker. You right. can tell deep down. He always wanted to be something, inside. that's for sure. He's got a lot of stuff going on in his brain. Did he always want to be something? Is that the impression you got? For sure. Really? Yeah. Hmm. He's out here, I mean... I feel like this whole <laughs> so yes. there was a long pause at the beginning as I uh, like transitioned my vibe from Squad of Ice and Fire vibe to podcast vibe, which doesn't necessarily have to be two different Check things. Check out Squad of Ice and Fire at patreon.com slash Q. I have to be a little bit more dialed in for this. Um definitely. I feel like this whole chapter and our last Barristan chapter are all just kind of walks through who Barristan was and who he wished he could become and who he has become. There's like mm-hmm. a lot of nostalgia. Right. And he's, he's, sorry to interrupt. He's like, I'm about to change. I'm about to become who am I now? Right. I'm about to become a whole new person. Exactly. So is this the right thing? Am I the right thing? What have I been? And for me as a reader, it's a big treat because it's kind of an info dump on someone that's, I've been waiting for this. Like, I think I've said this before, but I'm just really glad that in the first book, when I learned that this guy existed, what are the chances that we would actually get him as a POV later? Mm-hmm. Put him in the story with Danny. That was satisfying enough, but now I get to be inside of his head. Definitely. When he's taking a bath, this is all I've ever wanted. <laughs> it's like your dream life. <laughs> exactly. He's scrubbing himself as clean as possible. He's a- as clean as he's ever been. And he's putting on, I'm imagining, <sighs> okay, I'm taking it seriously. I know that you all are too, because we're still doing this. A Song of Ice and Fire thing, and it's been 10 years since we've had a new book. I'm taking it seriously. But when he was putting on his white clothes, imagine sort of like the off-white skin color that he has because he's an older dude and he mm-hmm. doesn't get a lot of sun mm-hmm. under his armor and stuff. Mm-hmm. He's pulling his white crew <laughs> socks up. Why do you have to do him like that? Slightly freckled calf. <laughs> Why do you got to do him anyway, like that? I'm taking it seriously, but that did happen in this chapter. It's It's such a deeply human moment. You know? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. As he's kind of shuffling around the bath, oh, you yeah. can kind of get that energy from him. He, he says that he got as clean as he had ever been. Right. That's what I like getting Barrison near the end. I don't know. It's not necessarily, we don't know if it's at near the end of his life necessarily, but sometimes I feel like he's acting like it. There's a couple of times in this chapter where he thinks, if I'm not here tomorrow, oh, yeah. Or if I don't know what's going to be. The way he treats his uh, stalwart shields. Right, mm-hmm. right. And so I think that. Getting the perspective of his life and kind of understanding who he is as a human being as he's reflecting at what he deems potentially the end of his days adds such rose-colored glasses to this man that we've revered for so long, you know? And so I think that that's kind of fun because he just thinks about these old battles and old lovers as he's pulling his socks on, getting ready to kind of... lovers. Potential lovers. Other people's lovers. People that he... Should have confessed his undying devotion to. I mean, a person to. that he should have confessed his undying devotion yeah, to. Yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. This is a whole, it was a, we got another Shara Dane mention. I think one of the most famous the Shara Dane mentions of the story. Other than, of course, it. the stuff at the very beginning of A Game of Thrones, but yeah. There's a lot of things about this chapter that remind me of his experience in the last chapter. But instead, we get the end of this chapter, which is one of those things where you read like the last... I don't know, two or three pages of the chapter, and it's hard not it's hard to sit still after you read them. You kinda wanna jump up and just kinda the energy and like the excitement and the way the narrative just comes crashing together with this 
insane battle followed mm-hmm. by the dragons being loose and just oh, all yeah. of that yeah. kind of momentum coming together. I feel like the last Barrison chapter was just kind of a lot of back dump info. And this one had a lot of back dump info as well with some sort of action and resolve mm-hmm. at the end, which to me made it an even more exciting experience because we kind of got a little bit of everything. <sighs> don't you just hate when it's all back dump info? No, <laughs> <laughs> I don't. But you know, you know what I mean? Like, you know what I'm... Yeah, I think that this probably um, adds to the pile of conversation whether or not some of these chapters were necessary. Being that, I mean, we, this isn't our last Barrison chapter either. Right. I mean, it, you, it would... it. You could see it ending with something like this. Sure, I'm glad Talk that I'm cliffhanger. Glad that it doesn't. But um, yeah, we like we have. I, I know I was saying how cool it is to have a be a buried POV, but added up with the rest of the uh, conversations about a lot of names that we can't pronounce, in <laughs> in or with or around the Great Pyramid, about right. the Great Pyramid, uh, dealing with from the outside, trying to take the Great Pyramid from within, trying to hold the Great Pyramid. Um, it, you you have to ask yourself how much the reader is enjoying it, I guess, and how much it all is necessary. And um, at this pace, oh, I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, reading for plot, I need to do it again to to really know. But like you said, this chapter has some hot stuff in mm-hmm. it, and uh, I'm I'm glad that it exists for sure for that reason alone. But also just for more time with Barry. I don't know if we needed the the dressing section, but at the same time, it's just something I really wanted to happen. Like this kind of personal experience with him really, I think, draws me closer to the elements of the story that I really loved when it first started in a realistic way that I didn't know we were going to get delivered. A lot of fantasy right. books are so pristine. And when you think of the heraldry and you think of the fancy armor and the different ornate designs of the world, it's like it kind of stays there. And you get a little bit closer to some people super heroic people with extra powers that you'll never be and it's a great story and fa la 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 <laughs> but um the person that i was sort of eyeing across the the turning of the hand in a game of thrones and thinking about his past victories is now i'm as close to him as anyone right in the story right. and i really appreciate that time so you liked this chapter it wasn't just about the fight like you the the walk through the great pyramid the contemplating his future, contemplating the choices that he made, the sort of last, not the last ditch effort, but the last conversation with Skahas, Mo Kandak, mm-hmm. um, all of it, all of it was good for you? I really liked it. It was just emo. I was so here for it. And I, I like how, I like the brief second in the very beginning of this chapter. So it starts off a pale shadow and a dark. The two conspirators. Oh, I love that quote. Yeah, read the whole thing. A pale shadow in a dark, the two conspirators came together in the quiet of the armory on the Great Pyramid's second level. Amongst racks of spears, sheaves, and quarrels, the walls hung with trophies from forgotten battles. And I know that we find out it's Barristan two paragraphs later. It's not very long. Mm-hmm. But I love that you know conspirator or traitor or any of those kinds of things is not the kind of label that you'd ever put on a man like Barristan Selmy and it's not the kind of label he'd ever put on himself which is kind of what he struggles a lot with in this chapter and so to kind of start that off labeling him as that as such as there's this plot happening inside of this pyramid I think it was a really cool way to start the chapter yeah it sucks (laughs) (laughs) why does it suck well it's not a bad idea it's just I feel bad that he's gotten to this point 
that he feels that, like there's that another option. That it's had to get here. Mm-hmm. The pyramids were waking one by one, lanterns and torches flickering to life as shadows gathered in the street below. Plots, ploys, whispers, lies, secrets within secrets, and somehow I've become part of them. It's not as easy as being really good at his weapons. It's not as easy as right. being really good at following the the rules, the limitations that makes him, I guess, thrum in a, a kind of vibration that people around him just don't achieve. Mm-hmm. That separation, but also the identity that it gives with it, it that's, it's not enough right now without a queen to protect. It's mm-hmm. not enough being so far from home, being surrounded by strangers, making friends with someone like Skahas. Right. But, uh, getting in deep. I mean, this guy is the perfect creep to push Barry over the edge. Right. And uh, it worked. I mean, this is him. Th- this this chapter is his transition into becoming that thing. Mm-hmm. And that thing, he doesn't really know what it is. And I'm not that judgmental against it, to be honest. Probably because he's so far from home. It's kind of like, eh, you're in a new area code. It's all off limits. Right. It's all the opposite of that. Like, maybe you can do whatever you want. But I know that deep down. And technically, it's all still the same thing. But, I mean, he he's usurping the guy who's in charge and it's not like it's something that really hurts our feelings we don't like we've never really liked his dar as readers of the book i can't imagine i've never seen his dar stance i'll say that you know they're Have all you? gonna come flooding out of the woodwork really no you think so i've never seen a his dar stand sometimes i feel like a little bit of a his dar like i feel bad for him i didn't but i don't for sure i'm not his fan well you can't help but feel bad for somebody who is awoken from their sleep and hurriedly tying their robe together you know in the middle of the night mm, no I, I i laugh at that oh okay. i think that's funny got it <laughs> yeah, why go right for wine i mean what a cursed existence that must be it reminds me of elvis just perpetually drugged mm-hmm. it's like why i understand that your exposure is tough but i mean his star's not shaking his ass for anyone on an old camera or like performing for screaming Except for youths. that girl in his bed he probably is shaking his ass for you that know? girl. Yeah. <laughs> his bed slave, he says. He's like, it's just a bed slave. Good Lord. Can you imagine? It's so funny. She was within earshot of right. that as well. I felt really bad in that moment, to be honest with you. But Because she was a bed slave and he said it? No, because I just, yeah, kind of. The degradation but... of the female in the, in the chamber? Sure. <laughs> I mean, I get that. That's that's pretty rough. But that's not the point that I wanted to make. Um, and yet... There we and are. And that here we are. So I guess I should just get into Bed down slavery that is wrong. Unless you want to be a bed slave, then it's okay. Totally. It's fine. 100%. And I don't really feel bad for that person. It's just kind of like the situation is I feel bad for that person from the perspective of Barristan Selmy. Like seeing that situation from his eyes, because he's kind of a little bit of a judgmental guy. Yeah, and he, he likes is. to. He likes to play on this idea that he's so honorable and that he's so like the guy and he's never had yeah. any impure thoughts or except for this one time when he fell in love. The you biggest know? babe in all seven kingdoms with her purple eyes. It's like interesting. Amethyst chips. Like chips of amethyst. It's interesting to me that he hasn't yet run into this kind of situation. And maybe he has, we just haven't seen it before. Mm-hmm. But the way he thinks past back on his past and all the kings that he's served and the things that he's seen and yeah. the situations he's been in, he, it never once crosses his mind that he's ever had to make a decision that's outside the quote unquote party line, right. you know? And that kind of surprises me a little bit. And I don't know if you had any of the similar feelings, but this guy's lived a really long life and he's had this really 
storied career. Storied, yeah, exactly. And he's had a lot of experiences, and he served under a lot of kings, and he's been in service with a lot of different men from all around the yeah. world, essentially. Different colleagues in the but it's guard. never occurred to him that he could ever do something that's outside of, like I said, the party line. That's like the best phrase I can have to describe mm-hmm. it. And so, even as he's left Westeros and he's been in this new and strange and unfamiliar place where he has to know, and I know he knows and understands that the game is played differently here. And the only way that they can win or make progress or do something that matters is if they do something different and if they and i understand that he took vows and he's built his career on this kind of um ideology but it's just interesting to me that he's gotten to this point in his career without ever having had a lot of these conversations with himself or felt like he made choices that were outside of what he was supposed to be doing yeah that's really impressive I, I mean, but is it true to the world? Uh, see, that's a good question. I don't know. I think that the way that he, he, when he considers how he would have treated Tywin, for example, giving Robert the the children, the dead children wrapped in crimson, crimson right. cloaks right. after Robert's rebellion made its way all the way to King's Landing, I think that he probably thought about that. Then I mm-hmm. think he also probably thought about what he'd like to do to whoever caused the Shara to jump from that tower, if she did jump from that tower. Mm-hmm. I think that. I don't know. It's it's tough to say that in in Duskendell or even surrounding the events of something like Summerhall, whether or not he would be would be angry enough to seek retribution for someone else. But it seems like whenever Targaryens are involved, they kind of are to blame for their own shit, mm-hmm. seemingly, mm-hmm. usually, but not right now with Daenerys. Right. It's not her fault that someone wanted to poison her. He knows that she's tried and seeked actively the fairest route and. Uh, she is a good person. Mm-hmm. She has some of the best traits of Targaryens that he's known. And or he at loves least one her, Targaryen. You know, yeah, known. right. And uh, he has a Shara's eyes. Or she, sorry, she has a Shara's eyes too. So it's just like a perfect combination for him to, to I guess, reach that point to be stubbornly angry about the way that it's happening. And then with that combination being outside of the castle that he's used to and all the familiar architecture and stories and like a past that would hold him to some kind of binary truth, mm-hmm. some kind of code, some kind of algorithm that he can't get out of. He's in a place where, like I said, with that combination with her selflessness combined with the the raw area that, I don't know, I think he's easier. It's easier for him to break out of those of course, restrictions. kind of backed into a corner. Yeah. And there's all those, com- you know, he's not participating in his Dar's court at this point. Yeah. There's that, that middle part. The middle part of the chapter, the wandering, waiting part of the chapter, when he's just kind of circling and making the rounds like because there's all this other stuff. He's not privy to his Dar's conversations. I think that's absolutely a mistake on his Dar's part. And I think... I was trying to remember because we've had this, we've been having this conversation as who poisoned the locust and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff and trying to remember what our thoughts and feelings have been in the past because I'm sure they're always shifting and changing. But as we think about what his jar's involvement is or isn't, the fact that Barrison's not privy to a lot of the important conversations that are happening as somebody who's Daenerys' right-hand man, you would think is like another condemning piece of evidence against his dar or at least somebody who has his ear because it kind of is shutting out anything Daenerys put into place for his own true 
protection potentially. Yeah. <clears throat> I think it also it makes sense that he would just want him not to be involved if he was if he was dumb to the situation. Mm-hmm. And for me, I'm not sure how you feel. Let's find out. After this chapter, I feel for sure that his star has nothing to do with Young Kai, nothing to do with the poisoning, mm-hmm. potentially nothing to do with the poisoning. Okay. But definitely, I don't know. I don't think he's the harpy. Do, do you think you, he's the harpy? Mm, I don't think he's the I'm not 100% going to say no, but I would say likely not. I would, I would lean more in the direction of somebody's kind of using him or putting him yeah. in the position that he, framing him. Yeah. I guess you could say. Yeah. But why don't you, why do you, are you so adamant that it's not him after this chapter? It seems like we are dealing with the Miranese equivalent of Varys and Littlefinger. Okay. With Resnick and Scott Haas. Mm-hmm. And they're kind of like an off-brand version. They're like <laughs> the, the old school townie version. Yeah. And sure. I think that it's more likely that they're in league with each other and that they, I don't know, that's tough to say. Because it, you could say that Varys and Littlefinger are in league with each other. And at, at, at time, there was a couple decisions that lined up with each other, and that's probably happened. But I also think that Kandak and – I forget Resnick's surname – are probably at odds from a long line of being at odds mm-hmm. with each other. Mm-hmm. And I think that this person here is is jumping on – I wrote a note for it. I have to scroll and find it. There's way too many of them, so – Bear with me if this is a disjointed thought, but I think that I think that he has an opportunity now to get back at people he's wanted to get back at for a long time. Probably not for even reasons that are worth it, but he sees the opportunity and he chooses to take it. And I think that it's more likely because of that and because of the way that he's been talking and we can read some quotes. He's gotten pretty frank in a couple of these exchanges with Barry about Danny. Right. But also still listening to him and still following the rules of their agreement enough. So it's just right on the edge for me to think that he's truly trying to disrupt his Dar's rule for good reasons. Mm-hmm. And when you say good reasons or when I say good reasons, I don't mean – Ones that are necessarily strictly moral, but I mean ones that aren't trying to subvert someone else and just seeking to remain freed men mm-hmm. as the shave paid. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that's really what he's doing. It seems to me that him being <clears throat> either the Varus or the Littlefinger, that he ultimately has an agenda that's about himself. Right, of course. Singularly himself, not even just the people that he represents, but himself. And that as we reach down to the wire the way that he communicates with barry it kind of gives a little bit of it away now, when i communicate with his dar there's little tendrils of possibility of his playing dumb alluding to being a there being a deeper truth in there but he's just so taken aback and he's so focused on uh the annoyance that crossed his face whenever the wine wasn't filled it just seems too localized in the moment to be worried about what Barry might potentially be thinking. Right, trying to play a long game you know what in I mean? that situation. He, just, that makes he, sense. he seemed legitimately bothered that there wasn't wine there. That makes sense. If you were playing a deeper game, don't you think that Barry showing up fully dressed in your 
bedchamber in the middle of the night, don't you think that you wouldn't notice later that he was fully dressed? Because it, it happens. And that he wouldn't sit down, that he was right, exactly. standing up. It happened yeah. later in the convo. He was like, oh, shit. Mm-hmm. He's got his sword. He's wearing the full regalia. Right. The full armor, all of it, except his helmet. What's going on here? It just seemed like he was too in the moment mm-hmm. to be truly, either that or he's overconfident, you know? But to me, it seems like Skahas and Resnick, even though he's not around us, he's only by mention here. It seems that Skahas and Resnick, who I've never really liked, I like Skahas though, um, are more equipped at all times. They're more ready to go. They're wearing ball shorts all the time. They're ready to hoop at any point. And it seems like his daughter's really living in the moment. So he might have been, whenever he says, oh, they were hot and sweet at the same time, <laughs> like talking about the flavor profile of the locusts. To Barry about like yeah. why he was offering it to Danny. Yeah. He said that whenever he was upset and p- worried that he was about to be killed. Like that might be the truth. The, the truth might be that he's a ninny and he he legitimately thought they would be delicious and that his stomach can't take it. <laughs> but at the same time, yeah. his dar has already gotten over seemingly one of the largest hurdles in his path between him and his own control because Daenerys is gone and he in the chapter there's a couple instances where he's talking about her in the past tense sure and, and Barristan, she's been gone for a while and Barristan seems picks up on that as yeah oh he thinks she's gone for good and so yeah. he's he's all the hard part seemingly for him is over because he's he's got his peeps back from capture He's and all the people that are left are the people that are important to Daenerys. Yeah, Daenerys is out of the picture. Yeah, and it seems like everything's kind of coming up his dar. Uh-huh. And so, I think that all the points that you made about his mannerisms in that moment are on the spot and exactly kind of. But I do think that he doesn't need to be in such a heightened state at this True. point because he's already kind of done the hard part yeah. for him and. He probably doesn't understand. There's always a million other things going on. And so you look at like, I guess my question for you too is with Skahas, do you think that he's taking advantage of the situation while his guard is down a little bit or taking advantage of the chaos that's already happening around him? Or do you think he's creating the chaos to then use to his advantage is what I don't know. I think that it's possible that this has been a long time sub- subterfuge with Skahas and and Resnick mm-hmm. in their own way. Although it seems like Resnick, Mo Resnick is so interested in raising th- throughout this whole book, raising the House of Lorak to their rightful position as mm-hmm. part of the true leadership of Marine. And you must mur- or murder him. You must marry <laughs> him to submit your status as ruler. And then the harpy will stop killing all these things. It seems like in that both of them are in the position to make those sort of long-term choices that would design it from a an angle that they're still sort of three-quarters of the way through it right now, which would explain Skahaz's potential focus and sort of last-minute impatience. But also that, that in, frankness and brazenness in his ma- bloodbat mask. 
which is such a cool picture. I should have looked up what a blood bat looks like. Was it a blood bat? It's crazier a than a normal bat. bat you okay, know? got it. Bigger fangs. It sounds like it. your face. It's a blood bat, for God's sakes. It could be explained by just feeling antsy because mm-hmm. he's like, we're at the end of this. So yeah. it, it goes both ways. I think that what you're saying about his dar is totally true. He could be feeling comfortable right now. But I just, I also think that the people around him, it seems like a narrative whenever he starts to blame the poisoning on the Dornish visitors, it's like, it seems like he's willing to take anyone's idea in and that someone like Resnick just talked about it around him and he took it for fact. It was a possibility that they weren't driving in too hard. So they made it enough of a, of a possibility that he made it his own idea and that he believed, I just don't think that he came up with that necessarily on his own. And so that leads me to believe that, the people that are around him that are talking might have a greater idea of what's going on. Of course, they could just be rumor mongering at this point, and it could all be inside of his Dar's head. But I just, it doesn't seem that way to me. It seems like he's being fed something from someone else, mm-hmm. and and who possibly the people that are surrounding the leadership have been surrounding Danny the whole time. Y'all remember their names? Can I get a roll call <laughs> on our social media? Galaza Galare, Resnick, Moresnick. It's all the same to me. Honestly, Sorry to say. You know, it could it could be all of them, but I do like that he's got all of his hostages. I do like that he's written Danny off. I do like that. I mean, I'm glad that Barristan didn't go as far as to say, "Oh my God, he's over Danny so much. He has a bed slave." They never loved each other. It was never about that. But the, it's so funny that, because that's so true, but Barrison's like, did you ever love her? Did you lust after her crown? It's like, come on. Yeah. You knew exactly what the situation, yeah. you've been talking about Daenerys' sacrifice in this situation mm-hmm, for the mm-hmm. good of her people mm-hmm. forever. And then you confront his daughter and you're like, you never loved her. He could have been, I still think he could have been a little bit worse, but yeah, you're right. He could have been worse, absolutely, yeah. always. But I just thought that that was in... Barrison's kind of holier than that way. Sure. He's like, he never loved her. I just thought it was funny. Okay. Let, let's say, analyze this and we can continue to, on the on this train of thought. Um, this is after Skaha says, the brazen beasts are mine, which so cool. You say you have men amongst the Yunkish men. This would be important, right? Mm-hmm. Sneaks and spies. Resnick has more. Resnick cannot be trusted. He smells too sweet and feels too foul. Someone needs to free our hostages. Unless we get our people back, the young guy will lose them, or sorry, will use them against us. And then uh, moving on a little bit further, when he's discussing the the hostages. Um, Would you miss them so much, old man? A eunuch, a savage, a, a sellsword. Here, or sorry, here. Hero, hero, Jogo, and Dario. Jogo was the queen's blood rider, blood of her blood. They came out of the red waste together. Hero was Grey Worm's second in command. And Dario, she loves Dario. So in Yunkai's possession, Danny's closest allies. I feel like there's some kind of meta-narrative here that I'm not smart enough to pick up on, but it means something really deep. A blood rider, her best friend's best friend, which still matters to you, right? Of course. In some kind of context. Of course. Uh, and, uh, or at least you'd hope. <laughs> <laughs> right. And her lover. Yes. Does it seem like to you, based on what we've talked about so far, would you miss them so much, et cetera, that he's trying to tempt Barry into thinking that they're worth dismissing? Or do you think that he's truly trying to move this along 
and not care about the hostage, not hostages, mm -hmm. and dismiss them so they can move quicker. Because I think that 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 perspective is indicative to a greater truth with whatever right, he's doing. Right. I would say that the points that Scott has makes, especially about Daenerys and Dario, are pretty like decently spot on. Yeah. And Barristan kind of echoes that with lots of different examples that might be slightly exaggerated. And that's Barristan's own bias. As, as During this whole conversation, I was thinking about love is the death of duty, that whole oh, yeah. conversation yeah. that happens at the wall. And that's kind of the thing that was running through my mind as we're talking specifically about Dario, but also her other squad, as you're saying, these people are all really important to her. Yeah. And this idea that in order for Daenerys to be successful, she can't have any chinks in her armor, essentially, and mm -hmm. she can't have any like weaknesses. And if you get rid of somebody like Dario, somebody like Skahas is going to see Dario as a weakness because Barristan will seemingly go to the ends of the earth to save this guy that is powerful and a killer, but he's just a guy. You know, he's not doesn't have a huge kind of endgame role mm -hmm. from his eyes. And so I definitely understand the argument that let's just cut our losses and keep moving forward because the game has changed. Yeah. And so So you're in the middle too. Yeah, I don't that yeah. doesn't answer your question at all. But I do think that Skahas is making some points that aren't just completely biased towards his own goals. I mean it's true that that he's not only a problem because we're sort of waiting to act because he's in their possession. But also whenever he's with us, he serves as a barrier between Daenerys and our convincing her of things mm -hmm. because he's so frank and has her ear so much. So yes, he's very dangerous to keep alive in general. Dario calls you Sir Grandfather. Scott has reminded him. <laughs> I will not say what he calls me. If you and I were hostages, would he risk his skin for us? Not likely, Barristan thought, but he said he might. Dario might piss on us if he, we were burning. Otherwise, do not look for him for help. That's a great moment. It's not not true. <laughs> I don't know. I think that Dario would do more than that. But that's just me. Might just piss on him if they were burning. Maybe he'd pull him out of like more fire. Sure. If he's on their <laughs> side. <laughs> um, it's an interesting argument regardless. And it also, this argument also, to the other side of what you were saying, deeply appeals to Barristan's yeah. MO. Yeah, and it, it does. deeply appeals to Barristan's mm -hmm. whole vibe of yeah. what it means to be Kingsguard, you know? And so it mm -hmm. could also just be, again, on the other side of the argument, it could also just be trying to play Barristan into right. what they needed to do. I think all of this appeals to Barry and very strongly. There's a quote uh, that I put here at the top of my notes. Um, he dared to kill his queen. Why not her pets? If we do not act, his dar will hesitate for a time to give proof of his reluctance and allow the wise masters the chance to rid him of the storm crow and the blood rider. Then he will act. They want the dragons dead before the Volantine fleet arrives. He's been craving this kind of basic communication to the point. It makes sense. This is what they want. This is why they would do this. Good. Mm -hmm. And it's enough for him. Mm -hmm. Like I said before, it wouldn't be enough with him. It wouldn't be enough for him around Magor's Holdfast. Because he can see it. And he's like, no, people trick people here. Like, mm -hmm. it's about duty and a traditional long-term honor. But here he's like, yes, that makes sense. This is why they would want to do that. Done. My decision is made. Skahas and me are friends. With me, Locus. I'm going to go take a bath. Yes. yes. Yeah. What were you going to say? I didn't mean to cut you off. I was going to say, 
I don't even remember what I was going to say anymore. To be well, I'm going to read this really quote messed up. that, that uh, <laughs> Skahas says to Barry, which I thought was just curiously frank, again, pushing the limits mm-hmm. and so well written by George to give us a truth to both angles of it. And I know that it, I think that it might not matter. I think that the battle of fire and the momentum of all these people crashing in and maybe even Danny coming sooner rather than later, you never know, will create so much tumult that it doesn't matter. Well, who, almost at the end of the chapter, almost at the end of the chapter, it doesn't matter anyway. When oh, the dragons yeah, exactly. arrive, you know, it's yeah, kind of yeah, like yeah. all of the narrative right. is just kind of Resnick's kind of on our side in this yeah, moment. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> totally. But anyway, uh, right in this quote again, both possibilities. He's either impatient and wants things to change, or he's pushing it mm-hmm. and trying to get him to change his mind. She will weep and tear her hair and curse the young Kai. Not us. No blood on our hands. You can comfort her. Tell her some tale of the old days. She likes those. Poor Dario, her brave captain. She will never forget him. No. But better for all of us if he's dead. Yes. Better for Daenerys, too. I mean, when since when does Barry let people speak so frankly of his queen? Right. It's a very intense moment, though. It is. It is intense, but good and Lord. again, he's appealing so much to Barristan's whole thing that I can. Yeah, that's a good point. I want to. What were you gonna say? Well, it, I just kind of. It makes me feel bad for his dar a little bit because if his dar is kind of who you're arguing that he is. Uh. Which, th- that he's innocent? Yeah, that okay. he's innocent and that he's just kind of... A, a silken doofus. <laughs> yeah, and not aloof necessarily to the situation, but just out of the loop. <laughs> he's a loofah. I just think about him getting his people, like his people back as hostages. And he's like, yes, oh, yeah, I'm he's so like, happy. He's yeah. lucky that you guys sent them back. He doesn't know, like he's not even yeah. thinking about the repercussions of that. He's mm-hmm. just probably happy to have... Wouldn't you be? Of course, and so it makes me feel bad, especially as we're scott has is pushing to kind of forget about these people mm-hmm. and da, da 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 but i guess my other question question is and then i think you were gonna read something but i'm almost at the bottom of the sanity drink what is scott <laughs> with no water yeah. <laughs> what does scott has gained from danny's people not coming back to her other than she has less of her people that she trusts i think that it's possible that there's a faction within marine that's independent of the young youngish influence that believes they can stand on their own and just profits in general from any pillar of strength that's not them crashing down or it's also possible he's working with young guy and that there's a an, or an arrangement to where they'll sort of take over stewardship role in some way whenever shit goes down but we have the other perspective from outside the uh, siege line, and they don't really have it together either. Right, right. it's pretty messed up good. out there. So it's kind of more likely that this is just his best effort at trying to cement the people that he's been supporting this whole time mm-hmm. as the leadership. That being Barry and Danny. Yeah, you know, and like you said, it's his best effort, kind of in his own interest, just kind of thinking about. Right. What's going to serve him yeah. down the line? Yeah. So it could be that there's not a lot of subterfuge really going on, that there is a harpy faction. It is shitty. It could be that it's his dar. It doesn't really seem that likely because he's so ineffective. But at the same time, it could be. It seems like there could be some kind of a mastermind behind creating more of a weak spine within the city by giving back the hostages. Mm-hmm. 
that's solely him. Mm-hmm. And it creates so much possible confusion, which leads to what's happening. I mean, the, res- the result of that, added with all of the other stress, added with the way that his daughter's behaving regarding Danny, it makes sense that it leads to a result of this happening. For sh- absolutely. So like, it could be that's all that it is. It could just be a bunch of truth and a bunch of ineffective strategization from people that aren't as subtle as someone like Lirio or Tywin. And who don't have like a broader plan. Like they're sure. just kind of taking advantage of the situation. Yeah. But then you get, like we were saying, the end of the chapter, the momentum, the dragons are loose. Now what kind of thing? I it think kind it's of, good, good news for them because they don't have good plans anyway. Exactly. Well, because that's so as Barristan, <laughs> Barristan, I love this battle scene and we'll have to read a lot about it. But Barristan um, cuts down. Kraz. Kraz. <laughs> You're like going through your notes. What, what There's was There's so many name? names that it's just what's a girl Scraz, to do? Baz. Kraz, that's right. He cuts down Kraz. <laughs> yeah, he does. And then he's like. His jar's in the corner, shaking. He Behind probably, the tapestry. Like, peed himself already. Oh, you know? for show. And so he <laughs> and and Barrison comes up to a little, him, little drunk. And instead of killing him, he's like, "I'm going to take you to jail, and we're yeah. going to march down to the cell." Yeah. What's the plan? You know, I mean, I know that he and Skahas have kind of talked about what that looks like, but do you really think that you can just capture his dar and that you have enough of a stronghold of this pyramid that you're in that to fight? Whatever that just that just adds even more factions to this whole chaos that's happening, and so part of me wishes that we could have seen this play out in Barristan's attempts to like actually let this coup happen. Yeah, I think that I think that he could have done a good job. I think he honestly, but I I don't I think lucky for him he didn't have to do it. Sure, it would have been weird for sure. I wonder we would have known for sure what Scott has was up to because he has the beasts, right? Because and then we would have had all of those. They they talked about tomorrow morning. We'll convene and tell everybody what's going on. It's like that prison documentary. It depends on oh, how yeah. how long they're there, how long they don't have con- the the normal control being that Danny's there. Yeah, because she actually knows leadership. Right. She like knows she how to talk. Training for this. She has perceived power, and so they like sort of respect her. And they're like, that's that's a little bit of structure. But with her gone, and if with Barry and or not Barry, but his star locked away and Barry in charge and Skaha's proxy in charge with the beasts. And they're like, together we rule and we have Grey Worm and it's it's good. We're good. But still getting seeds from the outside, but good from the inside. It would be pretty cool to see how long they last before someone like Resnick or Skaha's ultimately sort of took control mm-hmm. and made a deal with the, the Yunkish forces in some mm-hmm. way before Danny arrived. Right. And mm. what they would have tried to do to kind of cobble that together. But instead, they now <laughs> to cobble it together, and you're so reductive. You're like they can't do anything. They well, would I'm not saying they can't. Together. I'm not saying they can't do anything. But it's we're, true. I agree. We're talking about how div- everybody's how there's no center central plan or person who's sure. actually trying to like move the narrative. There's so many randos mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. There's this whole thing is like that's why George R. R. Martin wanted to get the heck out of here because there's just too many randos and too many things, you know. So them trying to, I think, cobbling it together. I mean, <laughs> how long has Barristan been sure. thinking about this plan? I mean, this has it's not yeah. like he spends one day walking around <laughs> hey, the pyramid. To be fair, we've had like four chapters of him considering. No, this. I know, but you know what I mean. And yeah. so I think lucky for him and lucky, I think Quentin did them all a favor 
in this scenario sure. and kind of because now they've got this yeah. unifying mm. momentum that the dragons are loosed and they now have to deal with this problem together. That's one of those. There's a weird philosophical point of view that talks about it's. It's like thank the Lord that something bad has happened. People so now we can live life. Yeah, because right. Because something has happened. Now we can actually live instead of being in this sort of gummy state of nothing happening. It kind of erases. It just makes the something immediate past. It also it's like someone a leader came in, being the universe, and said, "Okay, this is what we're doing. Yeah. Now you can just be this instead of wondering what's next. You can right. just do this. And you're right. It's it's cool that that happened. That Quentin sort of made that happen and. Um, we're. Lucky. I'm looking forward to talking about in the next episode just the, the, the poetic beauty around it, being ch- all the things that happened based off of Quentin making that decision to break out the dragon. Just that wild card decision at the tail end of the last chapter that we didn't know was coming with his conversation with Tatters, right? Leading to all of this happening. I know it's just. It's so beautiful because he could have been so useless, but instead he was so useful to the whole story. <laughs> In the way that we he was not expecting. Sure. You know what you know how I mean we made this reading order. We should make cut those two chapters together so we get the chronological order of both those chapters read in the same narrative all together. The Quentin the neck the Quentin chapter as this all happens on the uh this Barrison chapter. Because there's just the parallels of them moving through the pyramid. Yeah. Before oh, this together. Happens. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I'm just trying to make a really funny joke. The it locus. took you way too long okay. to get there. Well, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> that makes sense. It's funny. It's fine. So anyway. yeah, the locusts like moving around. You yeah, like that? You like I the just, sense of space? With it's the, cool. Inside the pyramid? Yeah, it is very and cool. And the passwords changing and, yeah. you know, the yeah. different masks mm-hmm. that everybody's wearing and... um. Skaha saying, my people are at all the doors. And yeah. then Quentin getting these other, th- you know, all this other Rodeo. info. It's How very cool exciting. would it have been adapted if we would have got Q, Quart- I know. PQ, even though, uh, you know, I guess it's not that, it would have been hard to translate on screen, whatever. 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 <laughs> I don't know how hard it would have been. Anyway. <sighs> How cool would that have been in the pyramid? It would have been having cool. That happening with Barry at this meanwhile. Oh, man. I don't think there's been anything like that. The closest they got to it ugh, was Unbowed and Unbroken when they were in the water gardens. Yeah. <laughs> and Bron and Jamie were kind of sneaking. And Marcella and the prince were kind of hanging out, kind Remember of making out, kind like- of not making out. You could so clearly tell that they were just on a sound stage dancing around. But that's the thing. They weren't. That That's that's what's so... That was the problem. It was the problem. I guess we shouldn't talk about the show right now, but just for the sake of you and I's friendship, <laughs> I want to reiterate. They were shooting... I forget what it was called. Um, it's been so long. It's a, It was a, a kind of palace, like a kind of castle. Mm-hmm. Okay? She rolls her eyes. <laughs> It was a real spot. They they hung up the they hung up the Martell banner. But that's what they the cleaned out is. all of the modern like velvet ropes that kept people away from the gardens, and they shot what they thought was the shit out of it. That was that's a, it. Looks like a sound state, like so clearly. It looks like I love I love musicals, and it looks like a old stage musical from like the sixties. You know where it's like they tried to make a sound stage look 
like it was in some ancient place. Uh, interesting. It's so bad. I guess it was a little fancy, and they wouldn't let him distress it. But at the same time, it wouldn't be distressed because it's the water garden. I don't know, but like the ground was so level, you know? Sure, it was pretty level. <laughs> Whatever. This it, is a different. It was mostly about, I think, how they shot the blocking, for God's sakes. It was so, like, I okay, I haven't seen this scene in a very long time, but the way I recall it, like, it was so zoomed out, and there was a lot of spinning. Oh, God. Right? Yeah, dude. So much spinning. <laughs> as good as this is so, I, so we, we need to, like, Quentin Martell, not Quentin, Oberyn Martell, when he's fighting, um... <laughs> the mountain? <laughs> yeah. yeah. When, when he's fighting the mountain, and just, like, all the amounts of times that he spins. It oh, was really funny to me. Amount. But, you know, he earned that right because of he is he who he is. He also practiced. <laughs> like, he so actually many, practiced that and got good so at spinning. I have so many videos on my phone of, like, me <laughs> zoomed in on him just, like, spinning around with, like, no other context <laughs> oh, like the never-ending gift yeah, of him yeah, just yeah. constantly. Oh, that's yeah. a good one. Yeah. So, anyway, total sidebar. But what does it have to do? My oh, father but was opening my tent. <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about Quentin Martel and, you know, his... The red vape and the door. <laughs> Okay. Now what? <laughs> um, God, we got a lot of spinoffs to look forward to too. God, we didn't talk about those, man. Uh, we will. We will. We will. We'll we will. talk about them. We'll beat it with a dead horse. Yeah, we'll, but... we'll beat it. We'll, we'll beat it with a dead horse. Okay. It's just, or what's that phrase? Anyway, it's just interesting to me that, like, the most important thing that Quentin does, and we talked about this, and whatever. I don't. I say that all the time. It's annoying. The most important thing that I'm in, the most important thing that Quentin does doesn't even, we don't even like really see it play out in his own chapter, you know? Yeah. We don't even get to like see that from when we read his chapter and how this happens and he, spoiler alert, or actually not spoiler alert, but he gets burned and he dies. Roasted. He doesn't even. We don't even get to see the fallout of what that means from his perspective or like the gravity of that well, situation. How can we see it from his perspective? No, I know, but you know what I mean? It's like he, he already is this, this isn't a Quentin episode, but he already is this doomed from his mind main character of the story. And he already is this trope of what a fantasy hero is supposed to be. And then, it's wrong turns every step of the way and he's not the guy so clearly even though he thinks that he's the guy in his head and then he doesn't even get there his actions did have consequences that actually really mattered but he doesn't even get to know that yeah he doesn't even get to know that i don't know yeah i mean what about that is you're saying it's sad or interesting that george set up the dominoes that way i'm just playing off of what we were saying before we went off the rails talking about uh, oh, you're bringing us back. Show. <laughs> I'm just saying that. that these two chapters intertwined and how great it is that the dragons showed up because I think that it really helped out Daenerys's cause or the people like the Barristans of the world. It really helped him and his cause out that there is this momentum and that there yeah. is this wild thing happening because otherwise it's hard to say what would have come of any of this and so for sure and from Tyrion's sample chapter it really seems like the dragons know who to fight to right so they would have been too cowardly to make this happen right and here we go here we go we're we're doing this it's ha- and finally 
what we've been for Vic, waiting yeah. for, I know, and kind of building towards is actually this is the straw that breaks the camel's back. So it's, it's just good. It's, it's so awesome. Damn good. Yeah. It's damn good. And it's fun to see Barristan. Barristan talks a lot of game, but to rip. It's fun to see him to completely rip. I'm here for his dar the night said, throw down your steel and stand aside and no harm need come to you. Kraz laughed. Old man, I will eat your heart. The two men were of height, but Kraz was two stone heavier and 40 years younger with pale skin, dead eyes, and a crest of bristly red black hair that ran from his brow to the base of his neck. To the base of his neck. Then come, said Barristan the bold. Kraz came. For the first time all day, Selmy felt certain. This is what I was made for, he thought. The dance, the sweet steel song, a sword in my hand and a foe before me. Barristan the... Barristan think... Then come, comma, said Barristan the bold in all caps or capitalized in all the right places. In Barristan's own own POV is so exciting and so cool because that's... It's just awesome. And then there's this amazing battle where Kraz is yelling the whole time. It's like, take off your armor because he just doesn't know how to fight a guy that has armor. And yep. the frustration and anger and stress that's in his eyes that Barristan can see. And he's, you know, he talks a big game about how he can do all these things and he wants to go rescue Dario on his own because I've done this before and he wants right. to be the guy that da 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 da. And it's like, okay, Barristan, like maybe you're past your prime a little bit. We saw you pull on your socks as you were talking about earlier. Like we yeah. see kind of the guy that you are at this point. Maybe we, maybe you're not that guy. And sure, this is kind of like close quarters, not the right weapons, all those kinds of things. But it's fun to see Barristan do what he's sure. good at. Not this intrigue stuff that he's not good at. Yeah. He can just fight. Yeah. No, I think that he's as good as he thinks he is. I think that part of the lesson of this fight is uh, that George is trying to translate to us at an important time in the story, I think. Five books in, more books to come, and we're going to need to know the truth of how this sort of power is weighted to guess what's coming and to also see the truth of it when it happens later is that someone like Barry, who he talks about the perspective of a Kingsguard versus the perspective of a cage fighter being so different. He says that being a Kingsguard means that you don't only have to fight to a roaring crowd and then come back and drink and whore your way until the next fight, which I don't think he puts it so bluntly. I think he kind of does. He says that being a Kingsguard is a, is a, a life of waiting of waiting and having to be suspicious not because you are a suspicious person but having to be suspicious because your your package is of the most important in the land the most important the most vulnerable the most sought after in the land that even from family and friends Mm -hmm. you can expect a a dagger right A, a sword being swung at you is something that you can stop with another sword, but a dagger comes up and gets you in the ribs or in the back or in the stomach. Unawares. You know, you don't want that. And so that's what he's having to guard against. It's a mental game and a physical game. And the armor that he's putting on piece by piece and the scrubbing that he's doing, him being as clean as he's, as he's ever been for this fight against a really well-equipped, powerful cage fighter is a, a mental game that he would play to go save Dario effectively. That armor 
in this fight is like a physical representation of the callousing of his mind. It's like a ritual. A ritual that is part of what has got his brain to this place to be able to stand against someone that is also powerful and to seemingly outmatch them. Right. Because it's – he knows that the dance is about more than what we can physically do in this moment, but it's also about what our brains are able to do to each other. Totally. That anticipation of potential obstacles and knowing how to defend himself or to defeat or to completely surpass those potential obstacles creates that – advantage that makes him so effective in these situations Mm -hmm. so i do think that he could go rescue dario if he really wanted to i think that he could dress as he does in the sample chapter and go out and be effective i think that like i said wearing this armor in this situation it it is not it's not cheap that he has armor on all right it's not cheap to survive the fight no that's bullshit it's smart it's from experience that he knows in close quarter combat this guy is not going to know how to fight someone with armor. If he knew how to fight someone with armor and that was his specialty, he would have worn something else. That anticipation is part of the experience, is part of being a good fighter, it's part of being an intelligent person, it's part of being a good knight, and we get to see it in action against someone that wants to eat his heart. Right, literally. You know? I've got the paragraph if you want me to read part of it because I think it— it just highlights everything you just said. Um, it's at the beginning of the chapter when Barrison and Skahas are kind of talking through the logistics of everything. Um, and Skahas asked, what happens if his daughter escapes? He can't, we can't let that happen. He will not escape. Selmy did not, he will not escape, comma. No, 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 no. let me start over. It's a period. He will not escape. Selmy did not fear Kraz, much less Steelskin. They were only pit fighters. Hisdar's fearsome collection of former fighting slaves made indifferent guards at best. Speed and strength and ferocity they had, and some skill at arms as well. But blood blood games were poor training for protecting kings. In the pits of their foes were announced in the pits, their foes were announced with horns and drums, and after the battle was done and won, the victors could have their wounds bound up and quaff some milk of the poppy, poppy for the pain, knowing that the threat was past and they were free to drink and feast and whore until the ah, next fight. You were spot on. <laughs> but the battle was never truly done for a knight of the king's guard. Threats came from everywhere and nowhere at any time of day or night. No trumpets announced the foe, vassals, servants, friends, brothers, sons, even wives, any of them might have knives concealed beneath their cloaks and hidden and murder hidden in their hearts. For every hour of fighting, the King's Guard knight spent ten thousand hours waiting, watching, standing silent in the shadows. King Hisdar's pit fighters were already growing bored and restive with their new duties, and bored men relaxed, slow to react. Relaxed, slow to react. And so you're right. I think that He's playing a deep game. He's thinking about how bored they are. Barristan has the mental... And we don't know what happens to Barristan. And so I think it might be interesting Barristan going into a situation like this and losing. Like, it's kind of sad, this old age fall of this grand night, I think would be kind of interesting. It'd be really sad. But as you're saying... Hand-to-hand combat, Kraz might be able to come for Barristan Selmy pretty quickly. Maybe, I don't know. But 
you're right in the sense of it's like this mental fortitude and this whole thing and ritual that he went through as he paced through the castle. It's not a castle. As he paced through the pyramid, as he checked on all of his little knights-to-be and squires, and as he took his bath, and as he dressed, and as he put on his armor and kind of thought about the places he's done and the things he's before going into this battle just highlights the kind of um what's like the seniority or the maturity that he has as somebody and so maybe he would have been able to keep hold of the situation if the dragons weren't let loose because he has a lot of wisdom and maturity and experience and maybe you know I'm selling him a little bit short but I think that what would be interesting to me is Barristan rightly so thinking so highly of himself and never having ever broken a vow and blah blah and then coming into a fight at his best, at his height, and not being able to survive because that's not how the world works anymore. Like, it's almost like we, so much of A Song of Ice and Fire is like the passing of the guard Mm -hmm. and the old world is being torn down and we got the kids that are now in charge. And I think that Barristan, the way Barristan goes will be another major turning of the tide in the sense of, the history is done and it's now our people who are our kids who are the main characters now who are in charge. If that makes sense. Yeah, it does. It does. I'm glad that it didn't happen now. Me too. Absolutely. This is not like the scenario for that to happen in, but I'm just thinking without his armor, maybe because he forward. got hit so many times by the Arak. So maybe the armor was the, the sort of last example of his effectiveness. Mm-hmm. And then we're not going to have any more of an advantage later in the next tilt. Right. If there is another sort of tilt like that. That's just what I'm wondering, but... God, it would be pretty awesome, though, for everyone in King's Landing to see him come back with his new squad. That is pretty... And it kind of in with all of the trappings of him arriving back. And to rejoin the King's Guard, or the, in that case, the Queen's Guard somewhere, yeah. or if yeah. it's John, the King's Guard. Right. That's It'd true. It would be pretty awesome. Man, there's so much potential and so many different contenders for our favor and i don't know what i don't know what your metric is to to be the person that's the person other than just sansa <laughs> who would you say out of all these people daenerys fagan john when he learns of his parentage like who do you who do you think would not be the best at doing it but with whatever metric that you choose who do you think deserves or should be the guy that that for example Barristan's in the King's Guard for if he makes it so far. Who do you see him standing beside? Who's gonna sit the Iron Throne in the Game of Thrones? <laughs> That's what you're asking. I'm just interested me? in at this. What point. a bold question. I mean, then come. So, so <laughs> I would say. I mean, I definitely would be partial to Daenerys's claim, just because I think that she has made the most progress and spends the most time specifically training and thinking and contemplating and working, not in this particular scenario, wherever the heck she, you know, whatever she's doing, but she's the one who's most dedicated and most focused and dialed in on that ruling position. And I think that that's better going to suit her. And I think about the squad that's going to be surrounding her, that 
John and et cetera, whatever may eventually also absorb as well. But like you look at the people that are there with Barristan, Tyrion, Grey Worm. I mean, that's a pretty powerful squad of people who have very specifically been training for these specific moments mm-hmm. to do this very specific thing where somebody like Jon Snow in his reluctance is going to, he's too, his reluctance to be the guy in charge mm-hmm. is going, is not going to serve him well in the long game, I would say. Hmm. Hmm. Is that the question you were asking? Yeah, yeah. Some people would say that makes him a better leader. But I don't know how how true that is. I think that it makes him... I think it's like fake humility. Not f- You think it's fake, fake from John? Fake isn't the right word. And I think from John it comes from a good... Pl- like he's just trying his best. But when you're too humble and you're too reluctant to be the guy, how are you able to actually act and like think strategically when you're just trying to not be the guy in charge so instead you're you instead you're focused so much on dang i wish it wasn't me and i wish i was just out hunting in the (laughs) snow but instead you're gonna be like dialed in like somebody like daenerys who this is what i was born for you know imagine john danny sam Tyrion. Yeah, continue. Dream team. <laughs> Who else is left for them to rule over, you know? <laughs> yeah, do you I mean, I don't know if it's about ruling over people or just being able to make choices for the resources. Setting the vibe. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And if you have to do it from the red keep, fine. But I don't know. It could be cool. Could be it's really very, cool. I mean, it's thrilling. And we're almost free from <laughs> From what? Marine. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? So. I mean, Marine's cool, though. Marine is cool. This pyramid's I, huge. Marine Modeled is cool. after the the OG Great Pyramid that Lomas Longstrider supposedly visited. We've just kind of been in the it's same place. paragraph for a very long time. How many know? levels was it? 60? 33. No, no, no. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 33 levels. Uh, the middle level being where the king's chamber is on the seventeenth. I'm assuming the brig's around there somewhere. The dragons are at the heart of it or at the bottom of it. Think of this all as like a physical representation of what Marine has to work with. And at this point, it's with brazen beasts that are in control by Skahas. There's a the potential of raw power that was previously tucked beneath it safely. There's Sir Grandfather walking around and checking out the weather. There's Grey Worm and all of his men. There's the attachment to the Storm Crows, even though he's captured. His heart lies in the Great Pyramid, surrounded by all of these ineffectual noblemen and surrounded, the city itself surrounded by even more ineffectual no, noblemen. And, and then outside and the disaster walls. And Poisoned water, and that's what I meant. Yeah, outside the walls is where the even worse noblemen are because they're from Young Kai and they're basically the same thing. Disjointed uh, slave leaders, cell swords that don't care and that are willing to go in whichever direction. Like they're fighting for their principality in a very ineffective way because they can't, because they don't care. And at the same time, a sickness that we're all scared of getting. Wear your masks, people. <laughs> Wear two at the tail end. Don't get COVID at the end of all of it. 
basically is what is what we're dealing with. And I just it, it's it's like uh, the idea itself is you could imagine this. You could you could imagine all of these possibilities and put it down. But George has painted it from uh, a simple sentence, from the, the a, a a little sliver of light. Marine, maybe that's a possibility. You know, from books back, mm-hmm. maybe we'll head there to it being a a huge portrait of all these ac- actions happening. And I know painting is a really impressive skill. I tried to paint recently, and it was not very good. I thought you did a really good job. Wow, Are thank you talking you. about our? Portraits? Yes. Um, but, you know, it's on one canvas and you can put so much meaning in it. Mm-hmm. And it's it creates such an emotion. So, yeah, hell yeah. Painting rules. Totally rules. What a long, huge painting. What a huge mural this is to to go to Marine. For, like I said, from a small idea to for it now to be this, this smoky, potential-filled section of the story that to me years ago as a more green reader did not fully appreciate it was much more confusing much more confusing but now with all this time and with a uh, patient steps through it it's like holy crap for for him to do it here is so bold because no one cares about this place <laughs> we care about westeros but this is I mean, this is like the ultimate situation. Mm-hmm. This is like the ultimate siege, basically. And uh, we don't even know whether or not Daenerys is going to make it back in time to see the real fireworks. Right. So it's just really exciting. I'm glad that she's a part of this right now because if they can make it through this and come out on the other side with some friends. What can't they do? That's what I was going to say. As you're talking about it, I'm thinking about what happens on the other side. And kind of them sailing to Westeros with all of this behind them, what that feeling is going to be like when the this battle that we've just been like slowly marching towards that has been looming over us, this thing that we don't, a lot of the major players are here and about to, and we're at the point where the dragons are loose and we're at the crux of it and it's about to all kind of start toppling down. What that's going to feel like coming why, out the other side. Why can't they just buddy up and go to Bashai and just take some cannons, <laughs> some some catapults, some trebuchets? Why can't they just – what are you guys hiding? Right. <laughs> what, what's with the octagon shapes? How, where, what's, what's the font of your youth? How much has magic woken up here since the comet, mm-hmm. since the dragon, since Miri's sacrifice? We what's might happening? be about to find out. I don't know, man. I just you don't think so. I don't think that we're ever going to go there. I think it's going to remain this sort of uh, potential that George can pull tricks out of, you know, like Barney's magic bag. <laughs> what a convenient thing, though, to kind of have this like mysterious black hole almost that mm-hmm. you can kind of throw anything, anything and everything. Why would you throw that away? Out of. Just make it something else. Make it Sathorios. You're like, there's a weird place that people are. There's a cave from Sathorios that crazy <laughs> things come out of. That's where all the mysteries. I don't know. I just. I want to go to a shy. Um, I don't want it to be in a show first, you know. But at the same time, when I think about all these potential conclusions and what's going to happen in Westeros, because you know it should be better than this, what's happening, Marine? How many books did it take to build up this Miranese situation? How are we going to? How are we going to do? <laughs> how are we going to do it in two books? That's what I don't know. How are we going to do it 
in two books. I wonder if we're going to run into the same situation that we ran into in the show. That's what I'm saying, dog. But also, we're talking about two thousand page books, and they when you really, when you really think about it, George. but when you really think about it, <laughs> books one through three are a whole different game, like a whole different story, and books four and five are. Like, those are two almost separate stories, you could argue. Yeah. And, you know, he was trying to write just three books originally in the beginning, so that kind of makes sense. Mm -hmm. But so I think that two books to really tie up what's happening in these last two books is not out of this world. If It's not out of this world if he has another trick up his sleeve. And some kind of a a literary uh, exploration, like you said, where he first three were a certain vibe, these last two were a certain vibe. Hopefully there's something new, some kind of new expression. And uh, I, I don't know about it yet. And I'm not ready for it, and right. I'm going to be blown away, or at least surprised. I don't necessarily need to be blown away. It's kind of a, I don't know. I was going to say that's a high bar, but it's not that high of a bar. No, it's not. <laughs> I just I read mean, Aria one on my solo read through, and I'm like, the way Joffrey treated Rob, I loved it. So I'm like, hmm. Well, think about the way this the way this chapter ended, and weren't you? You'd already read it before, and weren't you kind of blown away? Yeah, you know? no, I loved it. I, I really, like you said, when the dragons came out, it was pretty awesome. I, I, I want to touch one thing before we go to Owens. I know we got to end soon, but uh, um, we talked a lot about in this chapter, uh, or at least we've read a lot about Lord Wentz Turney. Um, oh my gosh, I can't believe we spring, haven't even touched on that. Barry's past. And I think that uh, really the, the main point that we can drag out for this conversation is um, whenever he's talking about, I forget what you called it, love, love is the death of duty, I think is what you called it. Mm-hmm. A kind of point that's... Uh, Summed up in a lot of different examples in the story. I'm going to read this little anecdote and then continue. Better for Daenerys and for Westeros. Daenerys Targaryen loved her captain, but that was the girl in her, not the queen. Prince Rhaegar loved his lady Lyanna, and thousands died for it. Damon Blackfire loved the first Daenerys, and Rose in Rebellion when denied her. Bittersteel and Bloodraven both loved Shiera's Sea Star, and the Seven Kingdoms bled. The Prince of Dragonflies loved Jenny of Oldstone so much that he cast aside a crown, and Westeros paid the bride price in corpses. All three were sons of the fifth Aegon. All three of the, the sons of the fifth Aegon had wed for love in defiance of their father's wishes. And because that unlikely monarch had himself followed his heart when he chose his queen, he allowed his sons to have their way, making bitter enemies where he might have made fast friends. Treason and turmoil followed as night follows day, ending at Summer Hall, and sorcery, fire, and grief. Which was a pretty big ending to a lot of those decisions. All at once, with magic, like he says. Sorcery, fire, and grief, sort of a, a, a perfect explosion or rather a perfect uh, answer, a perfect uh, like uh, dealing of fate from the universe. We have all these consequences of uh, uh, for all these examples and all these consequences of uh, following your heart and this role of, in a leadership role in the story. It seems so important. I'm curious about it. It's like that there's no way around it. It's like even with the best laid plans, there's always going to be an answer to it. And I feel like it's emanating not just through the decisions of people in this story, but through the planet itself with these White Walkers. It's like it must happen. There must be some balance to stop all of this progress or all of this potential goodwill. And I see it that way, and I don't know if it's really that way, but I see so much hypocrisy in someone's language or in, in Barry, someone like Barry's language where he's talking about how he should have told Ashara how he felt about her. 
and how that would have changed things and how it's better if Dario's out of the picture because then Daenerys can rule or how it's better if a knight dies from a heroic act and in, in, in treating people in a chivalrous manner than following his desires and being someone that I guess is self-motivated. There's so much hypocrisy in the way he sees that they should treat Dario and Daenerys' decision should be versus the way that he thinks that he should act for Shara. And I think that Westeros itself serves as hypocrisy of a place like Essos, where all of this is still allowed. All of these behaviors are much more, I guess, sharp and, and brutal and you could say savage in some ways because there's less opportunity, there's less of a standard of living in a lot of cases. There's slavery that's legal. There's a lot of examples why. And in some places, there's a spike of of wealth that is unmatched in the whole continent. In some places, there's weird magic that is cloistered and no one talks about because it's far enough away. And then there's a place like Hart that has multiple walls. Weird, weird, weird stuff. But Westeros can't exist now because they figured it out. So now White Walkers have to come. So I want to know why they've come. I want to know if it's a plot, if it's a natural occurrence from the planet. And I think this is what George is ultimately getting to. And we still don't have the answer. What do you think? The whole time you're, I I think that your highlighting of the hypocrisy of the whole situation is a really great point because and it, it reminds me so much of what's going on with John's narrative. And he's so much closer to this whole White Walker situation and much more intimately involved in like the movings of the planet and all that kind of thing because he's at the epicenter. But this whole idea of kill the boy, let the man be reborn, love is the death of duty. Mm -hmm. um, people just kind of out here fronting and trying to get other people to do the things they wish they had done themselves instead of actually just doing the thing. And I think that that's going to be one of the broader overall lessons and mm. things to come out of the story which is that if you kind of like do away with the bs and you follow your heart not necessarily in a romantic sense maybe but like you follow then do things the way that you want to do them with real intent that that's going to lead yourself to success instead of all these examples of people who are just trying to kind of front and judge other people for like Barristan is being very hypocritical, like you were saying, and judging all these other people for doing the things that he was never brave enough to do, basically. And so... But what about the fact that it seems like whenever they do follow their hearts, everything falls on the foundations, everything that they and their families have built. Correlation, causation, I would say. Really? I mean, not necessarily, but I think I think that looking at all those things from Barrison's perspective isn't necessarily fair. And he's like, I could have changed everything if I had just won this tourney and I had crowned my girl the queen of love and beauty, you know? And nothing, all of this fallout of this whole war wouldn't have happened if I had done that. that there's no way that that one thing is the only thing. Just kind of we're talking about with this whole situation happening here in Marine, there's not just one thing going on. There's 7 million layers of stuff piled on top of each other that everybody's just trying to take advantage of. And the chaos is going to happen one way or another, regardless of like one person's actions. Um, so you're saying that if there was less fronting, then there would be a more base level to actually draw examples of what's ha evidence from. If like people weren't lying about what they're putting out there, then you could actually have a fair 
you could fairly see what the results from people's actions were. Yeah, and I think that that's the beauty of this series in general is that the characters that we love and care about are all very biased. And we understand that at this point in the story, the biases that they hold. And so being able to kind of see the world from their perspective and like unpack the way that they view situations happening, I think adds just like interesting color and context to the world that they're operating in. But And, and we only know a certain amount of truths about what's happening. And so through their perspectives, like in this chapter with Skahas and anecdotal you can just guess where the vibe of someone like Resnick would be. You can sort of see what they're doing. Like mm-hmm. it's like the mystery reveals itself based on your ability to pick up on their personalities and guess w- whether or not they're telling the truth. Mm-hmm. I think his dar is more readable though because he's so whack. <laughs> <laughs> you think he's so dorky. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I, th- I mean, he, is he not? He totally is, especially my own kind of plays into his dorkiness Go a little it. bit, which – I can read now or I can wait in a second. But like his whole room is like covered in all those really fancy tapestries. They're and priceless. All that kind of stuff. It's kind of so. cool. It's like he became king and really, right. really got his vibe right. figured out. I, I can respect that. So maybe he's not as bad as I, as I say. This also highlights just Barristan's bias against everything that's happening right now. My own is going to go to when he first kind of comes into his dar's chambers and he's like looking around and checking out all the stuff that's going on and he says or it says the archway leading to the royal bedchamber was guarded by a pair of sandalwood lovers shaped and smooth and oiled sir barrison found them distasteful though no doubt they were meant to be arousing the sooner we're gone from this place the better and i feel like that kind of highlights a lot of the stuff we were just talking about his dar's level of dorkiness that like has put him in the position that he is being played potentially based off the conversation we had earlier and Barristan's bias towards everything that's happening in Marine period. And also his holier than thou energy of I'm an out of the King's guard and I've never done anything wrong in my life. So Owen goes to that. Roger that. Um, shout out Masande. Don't leave where you're hiding. It's going to get rough out here. I'm going to give my own to Tumko La. Black as Maester's ink he was, but fast and strong. The best natural swordsman Selmy had seen since Jamie Lannister. Yeah, yeah. And also an uh, honorary mention to Larek, who had years of work ahead of him before he mastered proper knightly weapons, sword and lance and mace. But he was deadly with his whip and trident. Think about that combo. Okay? A trident, not a frog spear, a trident, and a whip. Come on. <laughs> it takes a certain kind of personality to be like, to ignore all the swords, the usuals, and be like, trident, whip. The two seemingly most inefficient Yeah, that's options. my combo. I would argue, I don't know, if you use a whip in a cool way, it could be awesome, especially if it's barbed all the way up the whip, but I don't know if that if that's the case. Imagine a Valyrian whip with interlocking links. You know, they'd be nasty as hell. I also uh, said that I was going to give an own to um, the part where he's asking for uh, more wine from people. Uh, I thought this was so funny. His dark side, your magnificence, please. <laughs> Though at this hour, your sleepiness would be more apt. The king crossed to the sideboard to pour himself a cup of wine, but only a trickle remained in the bottom of the flagon. A flicker of annoyance crossed his face. Miklaus, wine at once. Yes, your worship. 
Take Dragas with you, one flagon of Arbor Gold, and one of that sweet red. None of our yellow piss. <laughs> Thank you. And the next time I have my flagon dry, I may have to take a switch to those pretty peak cheeks of yours, Yikes. None of our yellow piss. <laughs> All of the best. Now that He's I am king. king. Yes, yeah. exactly. All right. Um, those are our owns. Now it's time to read owns from y'all. Thanks for sending them in through uh, various methods that we will discuss after we read them. We've got uh, probably the longest own we've ever received on Twitter.com. Oh, yeah. Maybe. I don't know. But it's pretty long. There's like... Seven tweets? Yeah, it's awesome. From Straight Straight Savage Cole, who says, First and foremost, before my own, this may have been my favorite chapter in A Song of Ice and Fire so far. Shout out. This is my first read-through, and this chapter hit different with so many... Wait, this is your first read through? Right on, man. I didn't how did I not know that? Right on. This is my first read through, and this chapter hit different with so many different feels and arrays of emotion attached to the settings and history encoded throughout the chapter. My own actually goes to Skahas Mokandal. <laughs> There's a reason why we didn't say his last name. <laughs> the Shave Pate when he tells Bears and Selmy that this way is stupid after Selmy had told him that this way is dishonorable. Too bad Ned wasn't around to tell him being quote-unquote honorable won't always help you win. Yes. Or keep you alive for that matter. Though Bearson saw that firsthand. Perhaps he knows that though based off his later quote to the changes he was training the knights to be when he said it is chivalry that makes a true knight not a sword. Without honor a knight is no more than a common killer. It is better to die with the honor than to live without it. Also, an honorary owned one, Selmy says, you kill men for the wrongs they have done, not the wrongs that they may do someday. Along with a story about Tywin's crimson cloaked gifts for King's Robert, which sent, which sent chills down my spine and left an empty feeling in my stomach. I'd be remiss if I didn't give props to when Selmy gave us a history lesson about love and what it'll get you. Not to mention when Barris and the Bold breaks bad at the end. Also, I don't think I could see that shout out to my boy oh also don't think i didn't see that shout out to my boy varus <laughs> aka the spider this kind of has me super sad thinking about how much awesome more awesome the show would have been if selmy would have loved longer on the show or stayed longer on the show something hoping lived. he stays or lived or ho- hoping he stays around longer in the books travis that was literally a great summary of the whole podcast yeah, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> thanks for the own on twitter i think it's cool that there's still time for people that were huge fans of the show to feel like they can get in on this before it's all done. Mm-hmm. With two books being left, you're basically at the beginning of it. I know. We've got a lot of time left. You're basically it's very exciting. at the beginning of it's it. It's never too late. And that like, that was such a great breakdown. I'm, I'm really glad that you're uh, enjoying the books in such a, a deep way because uh, there's so much more in it. And as a fan of the show series, it's just like, whoa. When you get into it, you're like, holy crap. Right. Holy crap. And there's two books left, so... High five. Look forward to seeing you through this journey. I'm going to get a, a straight savage cold tattoo. Don't worry. We'll be even in the end. <laughs> All right. Uh, email from Michael McCann. Oh, boy. This chapter is packed. If you're a fan of Barristan, then this is probably your favorite chapter. I feel like this chapter is about reflecting on his life rather than the plot for his dar. The way he talks about his regrets like about Ashara and not beating Rhaegar at the tourney. At the heart of it, it's a tale of a knight who wanted to break the rules but was bound by honor, something we know Barristan lives by. Love in general is a big topic in this chapter and how it has created the biggest conflicts, whether it be war or personal. It has the biggest impact on the story. 
Rhaegar's love for Lyanna caused, by, caused Robert's rebellion. Jamie and Cersei's love literally crippled Bran and no doubt hurt many more. To think of all the things Barristan could regret, it's his love for Ashara which, ha- which haunts him the most. Continuing on this path, Barristan talks about how Daenerys' love for Dario is only going to cause trouble and lists off dozens of examples of it happening to previous Targaryens. But back to the plot to kidnap Hisdar. Isn't Barristan just so cool? This line here is my own. Only cowards dress in iron, Kras declared, circling. No one wore armor in the fighting pits. It was blood the crowds came for, death and dismemberment, and shrieks of agony. Oof. The music of the Scarlet Sands. Sir Barristan turned with him. This coward is about to kill you, sir. <laughs> As if he wasn't ar- already killing his opponent with his sword, then he went and killed him with words, too. There's so many moments from that battle that, like, Every moment is awesome that I forgot about yeah, that line. Yeah, I, I actually saved it to read the whole thing. And if we didn't have to leave so soon, I would. But go back and read this chapter if you haven't. If you're just listening, you must read. Last note from Mike. Sorry, I realize this is long. Don't worry, man. Isn't his dar such a prick? <laughs> 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 thanks for thanks for reading. Mike from England. Thanks, Mike. Yeah, he is kind of a prick. <laughs> like, this is like exactly what you were trying to say. Pretty much summed it up for me. Um, if you want to send us your own, if you have any thoughts, feelings, etc. to share, you can find us in a bunch of different places. You can find us on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook at Game of Owns. And you can also send us an email to contact at gameofowns.com. I just read Arya's first chapter on the uh, solo podcast. I mean, I could get into it right now, but it's all there on patreon.com slash goo on our uh, $5 tier a reread of Ice and Fire. We also just uh, made a new squad of Ice and Fire. We're making a bunch of those lately, which is just a, another podcast that we make of just hanging out. And uh, we're thinking about inviting people on from our Patreon to be on those with us if the timing works. Maybe not like right before we record, but ran- like a hang session. random ones to hang out because a squad is a squad is a squad is a squad. So let us know if you're interested in that by commenting on those posts on our Patreon um, thanks for supporting the podcast, for leaving us reviews on iTunes. It's really nice. Uh, we appreciate it. Um, we have some, uh, what is it now, six six chapters left, five chapters left of, are you looking it up right now, of A Feast with Dragons. We have one more buried chapter. We've already done some last chapters. I'll just read them off. The next chapter is? The Dragon Tamer. Ooh. Which we have a special guest for lined yeah, up for. A special guest lined up for. And then we have John 13, Samuel 5, the epilogue, the Queen's Hand, and Daenerys 10. And uh, these are going to be cool episodes. We're really looking forward We're to We're rolling them. towards the end. It's very exciting. We have a lot of really cool stuff lined up for the end. So stick around with us. It's going to be a wild ride. This was fun. Did you finish your energy drink? I did not. Really? There's so much caffeine in that. It's going to take me all day. This is going to fuel me for the rest of the day. Um, thanks. Shout out to not a sponsor at Bang Energy. <laughs> you really couldn't did do it without you. Really did it for us today. And uh, we'll see you on the next podcast, everyone. Bye. <laughs>